Hey, what's up, guys? Happy, happy Friday. Hope you had a great week. Want to remind you that the latest episode of The Ring Magazine is out. We've got the 100 Greatest Punchers of the Last 100 Years Special Collectors item uh, issue that's out in stores. Uh, we've been doing more and more of these collectors item, these collectors issues uh, recently, and this one's a lot of fun, man. Do I agree with the overall rating? The, the ranking, the numbers, no, not necessarily. But of course, I agree with the names. The names are all here, right? And I think um, there's a few surprises. You guys are going to be reminded of some fighters you maybe haven't thought of in a while that will be in this. I think you shall enjoy it. And it's cool because this is Ring's 100-year anniversary. So it makes sense that we're doing the 100 greatest punchers of the last 100 years. All right. Um, <clears throat> other than that, uh, obviously, we got a loaded, loaded day. Uh, tomorrow around the world and so it starts over in japan triple g Murata. that is live from saitama or saitama i'm not exactly sure how to say it um in japan which is a, again a suburb of tokyo so just outside of tokyo and the main event now uh, you guys have been asking me and the time has changed several times uh, over the last week or so but per the zone straight off their website Main event should start right around 8 o'clock a.m. East, Eastern time here in the United States. <clears throat> so, of course, for you guys on the West Coast, that's 5 a.m. You got to get up super, super early. But here on the East Coast, man, that's perfect timing. I'm going to get up, make some coffee, sit down on the couch on my boxers and watch a great middleweight fight between Gennady Golovkin and Ryoto Murata. And then uh, later on in the day, we've got boxing from all over the place. Um and I got I got to give it to PBC, man. That's a great doubleheader that they got going in Las Vegas. Erickson Lubin versus, versus Sebastian Fondora. I like that fight a lot. And then Sergio Garcia and Tony Harrison fighting. I like that fight a lot. Uh, on Golden Boy, they got Ryan Garcia, Emmanuel Togo. You know, that main event is what it is. We get to see Ryan Garcia back in action. But actually, the lady fight on that card, there's a, a flyweight title unification between um, – Marlon Esparza and a fighter out of Japan. I, I, the name uh, is slipping me right now. Um, <clears throat> but it's it's a title unification, and the inaugural Ring Magazine women's flyweight title is on the line. So that's pretty damn awesome. So And then Top Rank has a card as well. So we've got fights all over the place tomorrow. Super chat for my man, uh, Papa Chubby. Uh, I'll call you Chad. Thanks a lot, man. I appreciate it, brother. He says, uh, first big fight weekend of the schedule. Enjoy. Yeah, man. It, it feels good, right? Doesn't it feel good, guys? This is the first weekend of the year, of the whole year, where it's more than just one fight we're all looking forward to. There's a few fights. And the coolest part is, like, if we're being honest, the two biggest fights, obviously, this weekend is Lubin Fondora. And, of course, Golovkin Murata. And the best part is normally they'd be going head-to-head, -head, right, if those two fights were in America. But one's in Japan in the morning and the one's here in the USA in the evening. So you get to watch both of them live. If you don't get up early enough to see the Golovkin Murata card live, it's cool. You got to the Zone app. You can catch the replay all day long. And then later on in the evening, you can watch the other stuff. So a lot of times the two best fights of the weekend you know on days like this where it's super loaded or going on at the same time and fight fans have to pick one you don't have to this weekend which is really super cool man i love it uh aaron asked what the what the f was triple g wearing in that face off i want to say that was like some fancy ass expensive dolce and gabbana robe that he was wearing it was kind of funny let me see if I can find a picture of it on, um, well, you guys, if the thumbnail to this video, you can see the picture, but let me see if I could find something on Twitter and pull up real quick. Uh, <laughs> cause it is funny. Uh, and of course right now, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. There it is. All right. All right. Let me, let me share my screen here. <laughs> this is too damn funny. Let's see. Uh, share screen. As you can hear the, uh, the pollen is still kicking my ass. It's not too bad, but. There it is. Now, <clears throat> I don't know what the hell that is, but apparently it's very expensive. It's a more expensive uh, clothing item than I or any of you guys will probably ever own. But um, I don't know. That's what it is. Anyway, a lot was made of Golovkin, his look at the weigh-in. And some people said he looked old. To me, he looks great. 
Um, he looks like it, it, in good health. Um, he doesn't look old or drained to me. Looks like he's in good shape, really good shape. And I think the rest actually did him good. And what a lot of people are forgetting is, yeah, Golovkin's been out of the ring for, what, a year and a half? But Murata's been out of the ring longer. I'm looking at Murata here. The last time he fought was December 2019. So he's been more act, more inactive, sorry, than Triple G. So to put this thing in perspective, man, um, yeah, they're both inactive fighters. But one's 40 and has been in a few wars recently. And I think that – I actually think the layoff – did Golovkin some good. That's that's my gut feel here. And I'm expecting a big performance from Golovkin. What's interesting, actually, it's not that interesting because it's kind of predictable, is I've seen a lot of Golovkin hate this week on Twitter, on YouTube. There's a lot of people saying, we got to vote for Murata because I want to see Canelo fight uh, the Baturbi of Smith winner, which I understand. Guys, There's I, I just don't believe that Canelo this year is going to fight that fighter. That's just my personal belief. I think regardless of what happens in Japan, Canelo's not going to fight them until next year. But that's just me. Um, but then there's a lot of people that just want to kind of see Golovkin go away. As I mentioned in TNC this Monday, he really has become this really divisive figure. And I don't quite understand it because uh, – now look, <clears throat> if there are people out there calling Golovkin the greatest middleweight in the history of boxing, I get it. That, that's an exaggeration. That's overrating him. And I think based on um, based on potential and based on skill set and, and everything else, amateur pedigree and everything we know about the guy, I think he contends with any middleweight in the history of boxing. I truly believe that. Would I favor him to beat every middleweight in the history of boxing? No. But I think he contends with all of them. He gives every single middleweight, including Ray Robinson, Carlos Monson, Marvin Hagler, a tough night at the office. Would I favor Golovkin to beat those fighters? Not necessarily. I'm not saying that. So I understand that there's people out there who overrate Golovkin. And there's people that get annoyed by that. Other than that, a lot of the hate around Golovkin just seems to be centered around things that really have nothing to do with boxing. And it's just, it's just ridiculous. Uh, super chat from OJ22. Thank you so much, OJ. I appreciate it, man. He says, I start work at 5.30 a.m. I'll be watching a fight in my truck on one of my job sites. I can watch the fight and watch my guys work. That's awesome, bro. Hey, man, if you're in charge, that's the benefits of being the man in charge. You can uh, watch your crew work. You can supervise while you watch the fights in your truck. That's pretty damn. That's pretty badass, man. You're winning. OJ is winning for real. So I want to address the Golovkin stuff, and then I want to address uh, performance-enhancing drugs testing. A lot of talk about that this week. There was a huge <laughs> back and forth. In fact, it's still ongoing between boxing scene writer uh, Keith Adik and uh, formerly of Belco, but now of Snack. Uh, uh, I guess you'd call him a performance-enhancing uh, drugs testing expert. Um, with a, a very colorful history, to say the least, Victor Conti. These two have been going back and forth on Twitter all week. And it started really from Victor Conti, centered around drug testing for the Errol Spence or Dennis Ugas fight. So I'll talk about this. I'll let you guys know what I know and what I can say on the record comfortably. And I want to just break down some myths around performance-enhancing drugs testing, as long as my voice holds up. Also, <clears throat> I'm not going to go crazy, crazy long here uh today because going to a baseball game yeah world series champion atlanta braves opening night was last night the wife got tickets for us to go to a game um so it's the second game of the year we're gonna go check it out we got tickets for four games this summer so i got to get ready to go to the game okay but we're gonna talk for a little bit and um maybe i'll get to some calls maybe not but i definitely want to address a couple of things so let's start right here with the fight doctor who is a just an ardent Gennady Golovkin hater just can't stand the guy and it's kind of almost obscene how much he hates him and he calls him bum lovekin here right so he says bum lovekin would not go six rounds with James Tony um James Tony is a guy that at his absolute best was um a damn good fighter and one of the pound for pound top 10 fighters in the world at one point but he was also criminally inconsistent 
I mean, or I should say chronically, it was, it was a crime how chronically inconsistent he was. Um, it, he had really subpar performances at middleweight, at super middleweight, going all the way up. And then he was a performance-enhancing drugs user later in his career at the heavier weights. He, he, uh, we know this, right? So I, I love James Tony. okay? I voted for him, or I, I would support him going in the Hall of Fame and all that. But uh, huge fan. I'm from Michigan. He's from Michigan, right? I know plenty of guys in the boxing community that worked out and trained with Tony. I'm a fan of his, but real peep real. To say that he wouldn't bum Lovekin, a guy who's never been dropped, never been hurt, uh, to say that he wouldn't go six rounds with James Tony at 160 pounds, I think that's a gross exaggeration. And I just don't know where you get that from. And here, here's, here's where you ruin your, your own comment, Fight Doctor, is by using the term bum Lovekin up front. If you had just said, in my opinion, Golovkin would not go six rounds with James Tony. Okay, I'll respect you. Cool. I got you. That's your opinion, and that's that's fair. But when you started with Bum Lovekin, you're you're already injecting the hater sauce, right? And we know where you're going with this. So you're not coming from a place of logic and objectivity. You're coming at a place of anger and hatred, and maybe some other things are going on there. So you kind of ruined your own point, dude. And that's that's this is the sort of thing I see a lot with Golovkin, and you see it with all fighters. Okay, and, and to be fair, guys, I always mention this because it's important. This stuff goes in all directions, all directions, and from all corners of the earth, and all star fighters get this. But with Golovkin, it just seems to be a little different. Anyway, um, I'm curious, uh, Fight Doctor, and some of uh, the rest of you in the chat, how would you rate Gennady Golovkin's? career at middleweight against Bernard Hopkins because I want to do a little comparison real quick now uh, Bernard Hopkins is a fighter that I greatly respect he, he's probably the most disciplined human being I've ever met maybe the only other folks I could maybe say were more disciplined than him even were a couple of the uh, my drill instructors in the Marine Corps um, but just a, a Forget about fighters, okay? I'm just talking about human beings that I've ever met in my life. Bernard Hopkins, definitely in the top five, just most disciplined. He is just a, 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 a I don't want to say flawless, but almost flawless example of human discipline. And he's a fighter that I respect the hell out of for what he accomplished. However, he gets a lot of love, a lot of love in American media, and deservingly so. And he's called a top, 10 top five all-time great middleweight. And I would rate him in the top 10 for sure, just based on accomplishments, okay, uh, as a middleweight. But if we look at his middleweight run and the era that he fought in at middleweight, and we compare it to Gennady Golovkin's middleweight era, I think you'll see that his wasn't much better. We always hear Golovkin fought in this terrible era, horrible, horrible weak era of the middleweight division, right? And then you look back at Bernard Hopkins. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pull up his resume in here uh, in a second just to show you guys. But first, I want to get to a super chat from Aaron. Once again, thank you so much, Aaron. I appreciate it. He says, yo, Mike, what do you think of Victor Conti as a bass player? Um, I'm up in Carnes this weekend. Prediction is Triple G. By KO9, enjoy the Braves games, man. Hey, to be honest, I haven't heard any of Victor's music. I know that he was in a band and he was very successful with that. Victor Conti, whatever you think about him, good, bad, whatever, that's a very colorful life. That man has lived an extraordinarily colorful life. And I have spent time with Victor and his family um, after fights. Um, because I, I've interviewed some of his fighters after fights, like in, in hotel rooms and stuff. And I've been to different functions where Victor was there. And he's always been super cool to me and my wife. He's always treated us very well and taken care of us whenever uh, we were talking to one of his fighters and stuff. Um, always been cool to me. But dude's had a, a life, for real. I mean, he could probably make a movie about his life one day. And a lot of people don't even know that he was a musician long before he ever got involved in sports nutrition and all this kind of stuff. <clears throat> anyway. All right. Let me pull this up. Let me pull up. Um, let me share my screen, <clears throat> man, my damn voice. 
I had a good training week, man. Um, <clears throat> I, I took you guys' advice about my back, by the way. I, I took last weekend off. I did not take a whole week off. I took last weekend off. And I rested, stretched real good. And um, this week, good, man. This week, I got in, let's see. I did a uh, good workout Monday. I got two workouts in Tuesday. I rested Wednesday, two workouts in Thursday, workout in this morning. I'll work out again tomorrow. So, uh, you know, good training week. Feeling pretty good, man. I'm just, uh, th this this pollen sucks. Anyway, Bernard Hopkins resume, we got it pulled up right here. Now, again, I think Ber Bernard Hopkins is universally considered one of the top middleweights of all time because of his accomplishments and his longevity. Keep in mind, um, born in 1965. I just keep that in the back of your mind so we can remember his age, okay? But when we go to his middleweight resume, I'm going to just name some of these names and you guys tell me the best middleweight he ever fought was Roy Jones who decisively beat him. But Roy Jones was special, right? Roy Jones in his absolute prime, the most athletic, naturally gifted fighter I've ever seen. So we don't hold that against Bernard Hopkins. There is absolutely nothing wrong with losing to a prime Roy Jones Jr. All right. So, you guys see that loss here. That's not a big deal. But when we start going to B-Hop's best wins, right? Um, man, where do we start? I, I guess um, Joe Lipsy was a pretty good win. John David Jackson, there's a pretty good win. He beats John David Jackson in 1997. Um, Glenn Johnson in 1997. Now, Glenn Johnson went on to improve greatly after this fight with Hopkins. So um, still a good win. But th those are the probably his two best wins at middleweight against real middleweights, okay? John David Jackson and Glenn Johnson. Very good fighters, but is either of them an all-time great, a Hall of Famer, this, that, the other? We keep on going here, and that's when he had the IBF belt, which he defended a bunch of times, and then he started unifying belts. But look at the guys he unified against, right? Now, his... Two signature victories at middleweight. And I've always said this. Hopkins' two signature victories were against Felix Trinidad, who he decisively beat. And that was uh, really, really an important fight because it was like the first big fight after 9-11. So Hopkins, that really, really catapulted him into another stratosphere as far as being an American sports star, right? Because um, that was just really symbolic. But Felix Trinidad was a welterweight who had moved up. And then Oscar De La Hoya in 2004. Um, and, and so he would have been almost 40 at this point, Bernard Hopkins. He was like 39 at this point. But Oscar De La Hoya, a lot of you guys might not realize, realize this. Oscar started his career as a lightweight. And then he did, you know, the bulk of his work at 147 and then had a good run at 154, as did Trinidad. But these were smaller guys who had moved up. And I've talked about this a lot of times on my show. If you look at some of the greatest middleweights in the history of boxing, a lot of them, their signature wins are against popular welterweights or even lightweights that moved up. I could say the same thing about Marvin Hagler. Uh, his best wins were against smaller guys. And, and I love Marvin Hagler, and I really do consider him perhaps the best middleweight ever. He's certainly up there in the top five, okay? And for me, Hopkins is in the top 10. But I bring up Hopkins because, um, again, well, a couple reasons. But for, for one, everyone talks about what a terrible era this middleweight division is right now. And I'm looking at Bernard Hopkins' era. Robert Allen, who he fought like 400 times. William Joppy, Murad Hakkar, Carl Daniels, Keith Holmes, Antoine Eccles, Sid Vanderpool. Fought Antoine Eccles a couple of times. Simon Brown, Brown, Andrew Council, right? These, these names. Do you guys recognize any of these names? Now, if you were a fight fan in that era, you knew the names. Howard Eastman, right? And, and then at 40 years old, which is the age Golovkin is right now, at 40 years old, Hopkins fought Jermaine Taylor. He was 40 years old. So at the same age, Golovkin is fighting Rodo Murata, Hopkins fought Jermaine Taylor and he lost both the fights. And I, and I thought I was cool with both decisions. I thought Taylor edged both fights and um, much uh, like a lot of 
Hopkins losses, it's just because he didn't do enough. He just wasn't active enough, and he was just fainting all day. Uh, so so Hop, or Hopkins lost at 40 years old twice to Jermaine Taylor, who at the time seemed like the heir apparent and was, a, I believe, an Olympic gold medalist and kind of had this golden path laid out for him when he went pro. Turns out he ended up being um, you know, a, a good fighter, but not a great one. And he ended up moving up in weight and um, you know, suffering some, some knockout losses and stuff. So Taylor was a good fighter, but not a great one. Um, I'm not sitting here trying to say that Rialdo Morata is a better fighter than Jermaine Taylor, but it's close. It's close. Taylor more accomplished because he won the legitimate middleweight championship, but gold medalist, Rialdo Morata gold medalist. In terms of star power, Morata a much bigger star than Taylor on a global level. But again, I'd say Taylor's probably a better fighter, of course, but not that much better. And so I'm trying to put things in perspective here, guys. Golovkin gets shit on for fighting Kell Brook, who at that time was the number one welterweight in the world. And I'm not trying to compare Kell Brook to Oscar De La Hoya or Felix Trinidad. Of course I wouldn't do that. But I bring up that example because he always gets shit on for fighting a smaller guy. And that's one of his better wins. Hopkins' two best wins are Oscar De La Hoya and Felix Trinidad. Those are his two best wins of his entire career. And I told you guys, Felix started at 147, Oscar started at 135. So again, I'm not trying to say that Gennady Golovkin is more accomplished than Bernard Hopkins. All I'm trying to say is when you look at the eras these two men fought in, neither era was, was stacked, right? It wasn't stacked. But Golovkin's wins over Jacobs, Derevianchenko, I'm going to include Brooke, Martin Murray, and Canelo in the first fight. And I don't give a shit what any of you say. I know some of you haters. Oh, he lost. He won that damn fight. And the second fight probably was a draw. Compare that to Hopkins' run at 160. I don't see much of a difference. Also, Hopkins had the benefit of being American. He was part of the establishment. He had a promotional, a promotional footprint behind him. He was part of HBO, who at that time was running boxing. HBO was the big ticket. Everybody else was far behind, including Showtime in this era. Uh, Showtime caught up, of course, but HBO was the king, right? So, so Hopkins being part of that structure got the benefit of the doubt in some decisions. Now, again, some people thought Taylor, you know, that first fight with Taylor could have went either way. I thought Taylor won both fights. But Taylor, to me, left no doubt in the rematch. All three judges had it seven rounds to five. I thought those were good scores. Anyway, um, Golovkin is an outsider coming in, doing what he did. Um, I, I think it's a, it's a solid resume. Now, now, what Golovkin doesn't have is that signature win, and Hopkins has that. He has that signature win over Felix Trinidad. He has that signature win over Oscar De La Hoya. It doesn't matter if those were smaller guys who moved up, whatever. He has those wins. And <clears throat> on paper, those wins aged pretty well. He also has, you know, he moved up in weight and did some stuff later. Now, he benefited from so, some selective matchmaking as he went up in weight and all that. But just looking at the middleweight run, those signature wins, that's what Golovkin doesn't have. He was robbed of that in the first Canelo fight. That truly was an injustice because had he got that W, he'd have that signature win. So again, per the, per the record books, I understand why a lot of you say Golovkin's overrated. I understand that. And people out there saying Golovkin is a top five middleweight, this, that, that, I do think you're overrating him based on accomplishment. But I personally believe now, when Golovkin retires, I think he's going to beat Murata tomorrow in Japan um, at 40 years old. And if you look at his run in his late 30s and now into his 40s, he's fought his best opposition in his late 30s going into his 40s. I think that's pretty pretty uh, important to, to note. But I think he's going to go down as a top 10 all-time middleweight. I do. I, I definitely do. It will be toward the bottom of that list, but that's just where he's going to rate Canelo Alvarez is going to end up becoming the undisputed super middleweight and light heavyweight champion of the world by the end of next year. Right. I think Baturbiev is probably going to beat Smith. 
I think Canelo is going to beat Bevel, and I think they waited out Paterbiev just enough to where Canelo is going to win a disputed decision against him next year. And Golovkin, in his late 30s, beat a prime version of the fighter who ended up becoming who was going to end up becoming the undisputed 168-175 champion, regardless of what Adelaide Bird had to say. So I just want to put that out there and make a comparison uh, because I do think it's important that some of these younger fans and stuff and some of the people that are caught up in anger and hatred and paranoia and all that um, forget some of these things. You know, um, Hopkins didn't fight in the greatest era ever. Like Tyson didn't fight in the greatest era ever. I mean, I could bring up so many examples of other fighters who are beloved in the sport who didn't necessarily fight in the greatest era. Or if you really start to break down their resume, it's not so different than some of the fighters fighting right now. So I wanted to put that out there. Um, Again, my prediction tomorrow is Golovkin wins, possible late stoppage, but it likely could go the distance. It really could. Now, let's talk about some of this performance-enhancing drug stuff real quick. So this week, and I don't know why Victor Conti has such a hard-on about this specific fight, but he has a real hard-on about Errol Spence and Jordanus Ugas, which is going to take place next weekend, right? I think that's what Fox pay-per-view. And he wants to know about drug testing. And he's been calling out the American media for not talking about this stuff honestly. Um, You know, I do. And so for Victor to not include me, now Victor will text me on my phone and say, hey, check out this tweet. He'll DM me, but he won't include me on his public tweets all the time, which I find kind of odd and annoying. Um, But he knows I'll speak the truth about this stuff. Here's the deal with, I just want to make this very, very clear for you guys, okay? When two fighters, a promoter, go to VADA, and they say, listen, we have a fight coming up. Let's take Zach Parker and Demetrius Andrade, for example. They have a fight coming up. They went with the promotion to VADA and said, we want to sign up for the VADA program, right? They, what VADA would do is they'll sign all the paperwork. Okay, guys, uh, as, of this, as, as of this date, we're going to come test you or take a sample, I should say, and test the sample um, whenever we want. It could be blood. It could be urine. It could be one a day. It could be three a day. We could come in the morning. We could come in the uh, evening, whatever, right? What Vada will do is they will announce it on their site. They will post a photo of the fighters on their site and say, welcome, Demetrius Andrade, to the Vada testing program, something like that. And then they'll tweet it on their Twitter. So they'll post it on their social media and their site because they want to have transparency and they want to give the fighters credit because this is the voluntary anti-doping, right? So the fighters are paying for this. It's not being done by the sanctioning organization or anything like that. Now, sometimes maybe the promoter says, hey guys, I'll allocate some money and I'll pay for this for you. But either way, it's coming out of the fighters' pockets, right? So any single time, anytime that fighters sign up, VADA makes it public. That's why I tell you guys all the time, if you ever have questions about, is this fighter testing, is that fighter testing, just go to Vado's website. You should be following them on Twitter. If you're not, you should follow them because they're very transparent. For some reason, PBC, which generally speaking, premier boxing champions cards are promoted by TGB promotions, Tom Brown. That's primarily who they use, okay? He's their promoter. He's their guy. Because technically speaking, Al Heyman's not a promoter, right? So there's a lot of mystery and stuff going on with how all this works. But just TGB promotions. And I like Tom Brown. He does an outstanding job with his cards. And he's a good guy. And he's been very, very honest with me about a lot of things. We've had a lot of conversations over the years. I like Tom. But I don't think this is coming from Tom necessarily. I don't know for sure. But when they do a deal with Vada, they ask Vada not to announce any details publicly. They ask Vada to not post on their website, to not tweet about it, to not tell the fans or the media that testing is even being conducted. They do not want any of it out for public consumption. 
They are the only promotion that does this. I give them credit for doing VADA testing at times, but it's odd to me. It's very, very odd that you would not want VADA telling anybody. It's very odd that you would not want the fighters tweeting about it on their social media because what you'll see a lot of times with guys that are enrolled in VADA is they'll take a picture while they're getting blood drawn and post it on their personal Twitter. You guys have seen that with different fighters over the years, right? You've seen that kind of stuff. Or when they're signing the VADA paperwork, I've seen fighters tweet that out because fighters are proud to share that news, which they should be. They should be. Uh, it's, it's a good thing to do, right? So it, I do know of one particular case and I, this has happened for several fights, okay? But at one recent fight, there was a high-profile fight that TGB Promotions and PBC did. They went to VADA. It was in Nevada. It was in Nevada, Las Vegas, Nevada. That's where the fight was happening. They went to VADA and said, here's what we'd like. We'd like to do standard state commission testing, which is just a couple of um, urine samples collected throughout fight camp. Maybe it's one, maybe it's three, whatever. But that's all the commission really does. They don't do blood testing or any of that stuff. It's too expensive. That's what we want to do. But we want to hire you, VADA, to administer the testing. So we want you to go collect the samples. Instead of Nevada State Athletic Commission officials, we're going to have VADA officials do it. So you guys can come and <clears throat> bring the little cup for the fire to pee in and take it off to the lab and test it. So we're going to hire you guys. <clears throat> Don't talk about this, but what they'll do is they'll leak to the media. And I'm not saying who's doing it. I don't know. I don't know which person involved is doing it, but they'll leak to certain media people, certain media figures that are very friendly and have cozy relationships with PBC that um, there's VADA testing for this fight. That is a lie. That's just a lie. And I'm not trying to call the people at PBC or anybody liars. They're not actively lying, but the way it's being portrayed or it has been portrayed before in the media is a lie. It's not, let me, you know what? I'm going to take back the word lie. It's inaccurate. It's an inaccurate portrayal of what's going on. Now, that is not the case for Spence Ugas, okay? Spence Ugas <clears throat> is taking place in Texas. So Nevada's not involved. Based on my understanding, I've been um, able to view a copy of the letter that VADA officials sent to everybody involved in this privately because they were asked to keep it quiet. So a letter went out to the fighters and their management and a promotion, okay? And it just basically states, hey, this is just to let you know that Errol Spence and Rudenis Ugas have entered the VADA testing uh, protocol uh, for their fight up until April 16th, 2022. Boom. And it's about eight weeks out. So it's eight weeks of testing based on the date of the letter. Now, this letter was never supposed to be made public, but somebody leaked it to members of the media and then it got around. I haven't seen it tweeted out or anything like that because I don't think the media members want to break the law. Because as I understand it, per the contract, this was never supposed to be made public. So I saw the letter. I read it. There's no way in hell I'm going to tweet this out. There's no way in hell I'm going to share it. But just take it from me, guys. That's what the letter says. What the letter does not do is give details as to whether it's blood testing, urine testing, the full VADA program, or just a certain athletic commission testing. It doesn't really get, give any details. It just says that they've started testing. That's all it says. And by the way, guys, if you've seen the letter in, on social media, please correct me if I'm wrong, but I haven't seen it out there because I don't think nobody wants to risk their job or a relationship they have. I'm certainly not going to tweet it out. But um, so, so as far as I look, I know that testing is being conducted. I know that VADA was hired to do testing for those two fighters for eight weeks up until their fight. What I don't know for sure is the details. I don't know how many samples have been collected, what kind of samples have been collected, what time they were collected. Don't know any of that because it's not being made public. In my opinion, my humble opinion, 
when testing is being conducted, all that information should be made public on Vada's website and fans and media should be able to see it. On this date, we collected this sample. On this date, we collected two samples. On this date, we got this, blah, 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 right? So you know uh, when samples were taken, what was tested. I think that'd be awesome if we had that kind of transparency. We're not quite there yet. The only case where I got that level of transparency was when Canelo tested positive for clenbuterol. I invested, investigated that case thoroughly, and I talked to over a dozen people. I talked to people who worked at the lab where they did the testing. I talked to the heads of the, the, the lab. I talked to people involved at every part of that. And I got to know the actual dates of the samples and, and, and what was collected and all of it, including the investigation by the Nevada State Athletic Commission, the hair samples that were collected, all of it, totally transparent. That was the only case where it's like, I got all that information. Generally speaking, you're not going to get that. But at least when a fighter signs up for VADA, there's transparency where VADA lets everybody know. And the fighters can talk about it publicly. And you guys have seen them do that. It just doesn't make sense to me why PBC has chosen to do it this way when other promoters don't do it. Now, to be clear, Matchroom doesn't test all their fighters. <clears throat> Top rank doesn't test all their fighters. Golden boy doesn't test all their fighters. Okay. So I applaud anybody who does VADA testing at all. And Spence and you guys deserve some credit for the testing that they're doing. <clears throat> but if you're doing this testing, why be silent about it? Why, why have this weird, uncomfortable, concerning type of dynamic going on, going into the fight? Is it for promotion? I, I just don't, I don't get it. And what I wish would happen is I wish that Tom Brown or somebody, and I, Tom listens to the show. So Tom, if you hear this, I, th I think what would be really, really good for PR is just for somebody in the organization to just release a statement and explain why, because you guys may have a very good reason why you're doing this. It might be a legal thing. Um, I, I, I don't know, but Maybe there's a really perfectly logical explanation why you've decided to keep this quiet. Just tell everybody. If you do that, this goes away. Now, for Keith Eidick, I have seen a back and forth between him and Victor Conti all week, right? And I'm not getting involved in that shit. I'll just say this. Both of those guys have been saying, why don't you ask Margaret Goodman at VADA why she won't tell uh, the public what's going on? Why don't you ask Margaret? Why don't you ask Margaret? You can't ask Margaret. She, she has a contract binding her to silence. Who you need to ask, and Keith, I'm talking directly to you here, man, because I respect the hell out of you and your work, okay? You should be asking Tom, Tom Brown. You should be asking Sam Watson. You should be asking all your contacts at PBC. You should be asking Errol Spence. You should be asking your Dennis Ugas. That's who you should be asking, not Vada. Vada is a, it's not even a business. It's an organization because they're, they're nonprofit. They are, they do what they're contracted to do. So it's like, if you, if, if I go to get my hair, I got my hair cut this week, right? I got, I got my little part right here. It's a little messy right now because I worked out earlier, but I went to the barber and I said, here's what I want. And I paid the barber and they cut my hair, right? I paid for a service. The service was provided. That's what Vada does. That's what they do. Vada has no obligation to talk to the media, uh, to do any sort of reporting or PR. Work. None of that. They, are, they collect samples. They get the samples tested. And if there's an anomaly found, they report it. That's it. They don't adjudicate results. They have nothing to do with any of that. And it, it's interesting to see how on Twitter uh, and YouTube and all of it, so much of this gets put on VADA. Even media members are putting this on VADA. And it, it's like, you guys are misunderstanding their role in this. They just do the testing. So if you think it's shady, if you think the clean boxing program with the WBC, there's something shady about it, right? Or you think that the testing situation with Spence Ugas, there's something shady going on, whatever it is. 
It has nothing to do with VADA. It has to do with the people that are hiring VADA. And there might be something you don't like about their protocol there. But VADA just does what it does. So anyway, I just want to make all that clear. And I hope I explained that good with my uh, voice here that's breaking up for this damn pollen. <clears throat> but I got a few super chats. Let me make sure that I got all these right quick. Hang on. <laughs> Man, you got, there's been a few of them here. Wow, the chat's been going crazy. Okay, all right, let's go. Um, I thought I saw one from Chad. Yes, I did. Chad, thank you for the super chat, man. He says, Mike Bum Tarot. Yeah. Um, yeah. I'm not even going to touch that. I'm just going to leave it alone. I'm going to leave it alone. We're going to just move forward. Thank you, Chad. <laughs> Maybe I'll put that on my trunks for my next fight. Uh, Trent Namperio with the super chat. Thank you, Trent. He says, Vaughn Alexander beat Money Powell and Louis Arias after Arias beat Hurd. Zach Parker is the only boxer to stop him. Beck, Bully Beck couldn't stop him. Triple G KO under five rounds. Murata gets hit a lot. Interesting. I don't know, man. If if Murata goes goes bye-bye in less than five rounds, that's a huge performance from Golovkin. I expect that fight to go rounds. I really, really do. I expect him to go rounds. <clears throat> but might be proven wrong. We'll see. Deed with the super chat. Thank you, brother. He says, I love how Triple G got flowers at the weigh-in. That would never happen in the States. Real sportsman conduct right there. Yeah. Triple G is definitely respected in a lot of different parts of the world. And um, this is a big deal over there in Japan. I think a lot of American fans are sleeping on this. And some of it does feel political. I saw a lot of tweets and stuff this week where people were saying, oh, Golovkin Murata, yawn. Who cares? Uh, it's just, it's, it's just kind of weird, dude. It's kind of weird. Super chat from Anthony Santiago. Thank you so much, Ant. He says, hey, blue check, Mike. <laughs> uh, what do you think of the whole Tank Floyd situation? Ah, oh, good question. Uh, Triple G, uh, round nine stoppage. That's kind of what I see too, Anthony. Um, Japanese fighters are usually extremely durable. Yes, that is correct. Japanese dudes bring it. He says, uh, with all the great boxing, there's also a stacked UFC card. Oh, cool. Wow. I, I, I don't really follow UFC, but that's awesome. So it's like fight fans have just like a Super Bowl of, of like a buffet tomorrow to feast on. Um, so let's talk about this Tank Floyd situation. So Javante Davis has been talking trash about Floyd Mayweather. Floyd Mayweather announced that he's going to do some uh, another exhibition right on the heels of Javante Davis's. I think he had a presser this week. Uh, for his fight with Raleigh Romero. I got to be honest, guys. Part of me wonders if this is all just promotion. I, I just, I, a lot of what they do over there is smoke and mirrors. I'm not saying it to be a dick. It's just how they promote. And it works. And they get people talking. They kind of almost do a reality TV thing. If Tank ends up leaving Floyd, okay, it could happen. And maybe he will. Maybe he will. Where would he sign? Where would he sign? I, I mean, I can't see him going to top rank. And that's where all the fighters are where he wants to fight. I can't see him signing with Golden Boy to get a fight with Ryan Garcia. Does he go to Matchroom? I, I would think that he would just go to PBC, which technically speaking is separate from TMT promotions, even though they basically work hand in hand, right? Um but I, if I had to guess, man, these guys are going to stick together. I just, until I see like, until I see something definitive, I think this is all just part of the promotion because they know they have a shit fight and I, they, they are working. <laughs> they are working hard. Maybe one of the promotions does promote Leonard Ellerby. He does promote. I don't necessarily like the tactics they use. And I saw a lot of credentialed media members posting ticket information this week for that fight. Wow, these are this is going to be a hot seller because they were asked to do that, you know, stuff like that. I don't like the racial angle from Leonard Ellerby and all that divisive kind of stuff. I, to me, when you promote like that, you're kind of promoting to the lowest common denominator. And it's just, yeah, it, it just doesn't feel good, right? We don't need that. We don't need that in this sport. But until we see something definitive, yeah. I don't know, man. I'm going to say it's all just nonsense. Super chat from OJ. 
Thanks again, OJ. He says, take it, Floyd. I've broke up two other times. Yawn, yawn. Yeah, right? These guys are like made for each other. And no other promoter in the sport is going to give Tank the free ride he's been getting. With Floyd, you you know, if you're associated with Floyd, there's a certain built-in fan base there. And there's a certain thing that Floyd and LRB do that Tank could take advantage of. And he has so far. If he goes to any other promotion, he's not going to get it like that. He's going to have to step up. And he's not going to get paid uh, when he's getting paid to fight a C-level opponent like Raleigh Romero. And I'm not trying to diss Raleigh Romero, but he's not even B-level, guys. This is, honestly, Raleigh Romero is a journeyman-level fighter. And you'll see in time. Right now, it's going to seem controversial. Oh, Over the next five years, you know, Romero's going to get destroyed by Tank Davis. But over the next five years or so, you're going to see how his career plays out. I don't even know if this guy will be in boxing in five years because I think he'll get in trouble outside of boxing with the law. But um, he's a troubled guy. But he's not even – I wouldn't even call him – he's not even nowhere near a top 10 fighter in the lightweight division. Nowhere near it. So it was, yeah, because I think that fight's 135, right? Is it 135 or 140? I can't even remember. But it's such a bad fight. And I really don't care about Mayweather's exhibition. It's free money. Do your thing, man. Get free money from gullible people. I'm just not really going to tweet about this stuff anymore. Anytime I tweet about it and tell the truth about it, there's people out there, oh, I'm Montero hating again. Oh, he's so biased. No, I'm just telling the truth. You know, you want to you want to spend 80 bucks to see Tank Davis fight a, a guy that really could be like a sparring partner for him. Cool, man. It's your money. I ain't mad at you, but I'm going to tell the truth about what it is. And th- the same dudes that are like pissed off that Golovkin Murata is happening are, are going to buy Tank Davis's fight with or buy. They're probably going to stream his fight with Raleigh Romero and just say that they bought it. But anyway, man, <clears throat> yeah, I'm not going to go into all that. Look, guys, if I get to some of these calls, we got to do it quick because I got to get out of here to go to my Braves game. So um, let's like for real run this off really, really quick, these phone calls, okay? Uh, let me jump to these right now. 570, what's up? How you doing? Hey, you got me rolling today, Mike. Yeah. Bum Tarot and Joe Piscopo, boy, you're gonna have a lot of aliases. I, <laughs> I get the Joe Piscopo a lot. With, but, uh, I get that a lot. Yeah, I, I think Bum Tarot though might uh, might supersede. I know, that put that one, in my so shorts. Yeah, better. Yeah, better research that one. But <laughs> hey, uh, real quick, <laughs> yeah, Conti has a hard on for Spence because when they fought um, Garcia, they wanted drug testing early. The Spence people nixed it, and they didn't get the full. Uh, four month uh, allotment that they that they chose, so uh, they refused to let's say flat out, no, you're not testing my guy. Four months out, we'll do two months. Mm-hmm. I mean that that spells it right out. I mean I've <laughs> I've had a, a hormonal clinic. Um, I've used certain performance enhancing drugs myself, and you get the best residuals when you use them about six months before competition and or whatever you're doing. And I mean you know, for, for going to the beach and everything too, it's the same thing. I mean, you, you train hard, you know, you, you do your cycle, you get off and then you take something else that's going to keep your testosterone from, uh, you know, you have that ratio with estrogen. There's other medications you have to take to balance that out and you're done, but you have the best, uh, results about six months after mm. using steroids. So an HGH, HGH is not deductible. I mean, you have to do a test on the guy the day of because right. the half-life is so short yeah i mean there it's really hard to catch people but vada does the best job but when you have the smoking guns here with you know trying to hide that info from the public especially now when you have the united states as the biggest gambling capital in the world and these fights are advertised everywhere with odds and people betting on them left and right okay it's a sub-economy and when that information isn't privy to people that are putting their money on these these fights then that's a conflict of interest and something has to be done about that officially. If um, Vegas and or these offshore and and state regulated casinos are going to have boxing on the docket. Okay. Because if if this information isn't out there for the public to judge, it's like, well, it's collusion. Hmm. So something has to be done, Mike, something has to be done. And great, 
you know, uh, rundown of Bernard Hopkins. I will say this. Hopkins, when he did fight outside of America, he drew with Sergunda Mercado in Ecuador. Mm-hmm. Okay. Golovkin's fought on the road his entire career, basically. So, uh, you know, if, if anyone wants to know how hard that is, yeah, try getting on a plane going halfway across the world just on vacation. Yeah. Try to actually fight, you know, yeah. when you're coming from jet lag. You know, it, it's just, it's, it's, it's difficult. And these guys that are, you know, these American based fans, you know, that have that, uh, that bias, you know, your guys are fighting in their, their hometowns. And you got guys like Lomachenko and Yusik and Golovkin fighting these champions in their backyards and they're, and they're beating them. That's difficult. And that deserves respect. So when people come out and make these names up like Bum Lovkin, it just goes to show their mentality, where they're, what they're all about and that inferiority complex that they have deep inside them. Yeah. You could, you could basically tell it's who they insecurity, are. It's an insecurity, I think, but, more um, than anything. Yeah. Absolutely insecurity. Yeah. I mean, half, just half of America people. today is insecure. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. Uh, Tank Davis and Floyd, they're, they're the new Jada Pinkett and, uh, Will Smith. <laughs> well, that's, which that's one's Will? Which truly. one's Will? Which one's Jada? Oh, Floyd. Oh, Floyd wears the pants in the family. Yeah, okay, so okay, right. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Without question. And then my take on the fight, I, Mike, I've watched, uh, as many Murata fights as I could this past week. And what I see is Murata, he's very underrated. He has an excellent chin. He's never been dropped. He's never been hurt. Uh, he's been outpointed, but it was, it was like a kind of like a fluky thing um, against Rob Brand, and he destroyed him in two rounds. Murata's going to be a problem. He lands big right hands, but he also cups with the right hand, yeah. sort of in the back of the head. That's going to be a problem for Golovkin coming in. He dips down, and he tries to jab you. And, and he's going to get clipped on the back of the head. Now, I don't know what Japanese officials are like, but if that lets, if he, if they let that go, Golovkin might be in trouble in this fight because this style three, four, five years ago would be great for him. Now this aggressive, big, strong, hard punching Japanese fighter, they're like samurais. They'll rather die before yeah. giving up. Yeah. He's going to throw it at him. He's going to throw everything in the kitchen sink. So Golovkin at 40, if he wins this fight, this is like kind of a, an all-time great win for a guy that age going on the road to do what he's doing to unify a unif- uh, middleweight belt, which has never happened, okay, with a guy 40 years old. So let's give respect where respect is due. I think it goes to decision, and I think it's a 50-50 fight coin flip on the decision. Wow. So, okay. you know, buyer beware out there. That's because Murata is very, very underrated. I'm, I'm telling you people. He goes to the body aggressively. He doesn't throw a lot of punches, but he throws with bad intentions. And if he hits you and hurts you, he's coming after you, and he's going to try to finish you. So uh, I don't know how this fight's going to turn out. I, I think it's a, you know, a coin flip on the decision either way. I don't think Golovkin stops him. I do not think so. Hmm. So hope, hopefully people will give, give some feedback. Um, it's a great week for combat sports, like everyone said, MMA. You got three other fights. And if you're buying DAZN, listen, if you guys are going to buy DAZN this weekend, do it tonight. Then you're going to get the Katie Taylor fight, okay, on the 30th. And you're going to have $20 um, off if you want to buy the uh, the Canelo Bivol fight. Because you'll already have this. Oh, yeah, because that's so, May 7th. So, yeah, it's exactly yeah. a month from now. Yeah. Smart. Yeah, it's grandfathered in. So you'll if you buy it tonight or tomorrow early, You'll get all these fights. You're going to get the, I mean, it's, there's a lot of value for 20 bucks here. I mean, sign up tonight. I mean, it's, it's going to be worth it. And, and, and this could be a fight of the year type fight in the morning. Have your cup of coffee, get ready for it. It's going to be a barn burner. So cool. Good luck to everybody. All right, dad. Good stuff, brother. All right, Mike. Have Thanks. a great weekend, man. All right. You too. All right. We're going to keep it rolling. We're going to bring Nacho on. I know he's going to have some strong opinions. Nacho, what's up, brother? Hey, what's going on, Mike? <clears throat> um, just real quick, like, I mean, we already went over them, so I'm just going to touch on a few subjects. Um, like, there was somebody in the chat, I think it might have been Jack. He brought something up about uh, Felix Trinidad would get whooped on by uh, Kel Brook. And I was like, come on, man, really? Like, when you make statements like that, you legitimately lose credibility. He said that like, Brook would beat I mean, Trinidad? I- yeah. Oh man. Okay. Yeah. yeah. 
And I was like, come on, man. Like, really? Like, we're starting to give you credit for your takes. But now you say stuff like that. That that really brings into question how much of a legit boxing fan you are when you start saying stuff like that. I was like, dude, come on. Like, no. Like, like get a grip. Um, and then real quick, um, just, and Thad touched on it a little bit, so I'm not going to go too much into it. To me, the thing that's really annoying about people bashing uh, the guys like, you know, Loma, Usyk, uh, Golovkin, um, like Thad said, a lot of their careers are not based at home. They're not getting to sleep in their own beds, and they're not getting to, you know, just like travel 30 to 45 minutes to the arena and then get ready to fight guys on their home turf. They've literally had to go different parts of the world in order to prove how good they really are. And some of these guys that are, like, revered, like Bernard Hopkins. Bernard Hopkins beat a lot of soft touches in his middleweight reign. Um, and and people look at him like he's this all-time great at middleweight. And it's like, when you compare uh, Golovkin's resume to Hopkins's resume, I'm like, hmm. Like, I, I wonder what the difference is here, you know? There's not much of a difference, in my opinion. You I, know, for every 100%. Robert Allen and, and, Keith, and Keith Holmes, you know, like... Yeah, he beat he beat uh he beat Trinidad and uh, De La Hoya, but you gotta remember those were two guys whose best weights were at one fifty, one forty seven and one fifty four. They were not legit middleweights. Nacho, yeah. do you they remember were legit middleweights? Oscar started as a lightweight. People don't remember that he started his yeah, pro exactly. career as a lightweight. I remember, I remember when he beat Johnny Breedall for his first world title, Mike. Yeah, that's how that's yeah. how far back, that, and that was at one hundred and thirty pounds when he Damn won that you. fucking world title. Yeah. So, wow. So, so people out here, people out here saying that De La Hoya was a 60 pounder. No, he was not. Go back and look at that Felix Stern fight. He looked like he had the worst dad bod I've ever seen a boxer yeah. walk into the ring with. Yeah, and he got that. lucky given that decision, you know? So people need to stop out here acting like De La Hoya and Trinidad were like these killers at middleweight. Like let's, let's pump the brakes on that. So I think, you know, we, we need to stop all that. And then the the whole thing with um with Vada and the PBC mic this is just like the last thing I wanted to bring up. I agree with you. I don't understand the secrecy and the mystery with them trying to hide why their guys are testing. But there is one thing that does bother me when it comes to them and, and Vada testing. There's been other fights that they've done in the last few years where their guys didn't even test for two months. And they've actually gone on record and said they didn't test for two months. Like Thurman Barrios? Someone posted that they only did the testing for four weeks for that fight. So, and then there was another fight um, before that where the same thing happened. It was another big fight where they, it might have been, if I'm not mistaken, it might have been Spence Porter. Same deal. They only did a, testing a month before the fight. Yeah. So this, this, whole, this whole thing where they, they literally go out of their way to limit the testing and then not talk about it, it just makes you think like what the hell's going on like why are they letting these dudes not really test longer to you know um to prove that they're legitimately clean and they're not doing something they're not supposed to be doing and also too the biggest indictment on them is that some of their fighters on their roster have employed memo heredia and we all know that dude's backstory mm -hmm. so you know just some food for thought when it comes to the whole why they're being so secretive and mysterious about Vada testing. So, all right, Mike, I'm just going to enjoy the fight this weekend and then uh, I'll call in on Monday. All right, brother. Enjoy it, man. All right, man. All yeah, right, peace. Thanks. All right, we got a lot of heat going in the chat here. People are asking Is Gennady Golovkin Eastern European? Is he Asian? He's both. Guys, who cares? Listen, I, I will say this, okay? For, for the, I, I hate having to go here for the 500th time. Number one, I've heard Gennady Golovkin call himself white. I was literally in the gym once at the summit when Golovkin was training. I believe it was for the Brook fight, but don't quote me on that. It was around that time. And he was in the ring working with a few, a few guys, a few sparring partners and stuff. And these, these dudes were black. There was two or three guys. They were black dudes, American guys. And um, they were doing like some jumping, warm-up exercises. And Triple G kind of joked with them because he was jumping higher than them and jumping faster than them. 
you know, just boom, boom, just moving around, warming up. And he was like, hey, come on, guys. I thought white men can't jump. Come on. Yeah, they started laughing their fucking ass off, right? And he was just joking, right? So just all you just relax with all that. L listen, um, for the 500th time, I've talked to Gennady directly about this, okay? I continue to see misinformation here. His father's from Russia. His mother is half Korean, not full Korean like it's reported, half Korean, half Kazakhstan or Kazakh from Kazakhstan. He grew up in Kazakhstan, which is a Central Asian country. So his nationality is Asian. It is the former Soviet Union. So it's formerly of the USSR, which is Eastern Europe, Central Asia. I mean, it's really complicated. Why don't we just say Euro-Asian? How about that? Right. And I bring all this up because my wife is Chinese and Vietnamese. So uh, we've had these conversations because one day we will have children. And it's like, how do we describe to our children what part of the world they come from? What term do you use? I don't give a shit what some fucking idiot professor at Berkeley University says. I'm talking about the real world. How will people see our kid? Generally speaking, I got to admit, when you look on Twitter, when you look on YouTube, when you look at people like the fight doctor, they don't like Gennady Golovkin because he's Asian. That's not the reason they don't like him. He's generally considered a quote-unquote Russian guy. That's what I always hear, right? All people from Eastern Europe are Russian. All people from Eastern Europe are Russian. Just like all people, all Asian people are Chinese. I love that. In America, all Asian people are just called Chinese. Boy, are we fucking idiots when it comes to this stuff in this country. On that note, I'm going to get ready to go to this Braves game, guys. Have a great fucking weekend. <laughs> Enjoy the fights and stop talking about this shit that doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what part of the world you come from. All the same, goddammit. We all started in Africa. All right, guys. Uh, peace out. Have a great weekend. Enjoy the fights. I'll see you Monday. I'll see you at the fights.